Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. So, um, Dana is going to be coming up. I'm so excited that Dana is speaking tonight. So, I want to share a little bit um, that Mark and Dana I have known about for years. Um, having gone to Cairn and befriending a lot of people who went through WWC and then also one of their middle sons, Adam, we kind of ran in the same circle through college. Um, And so I always had great esteem for you guys. And, you know, everything I heard was like, oh, wow, the Jalovics, they're so great. Um, to the point that I was, like, kind of nervous, I think. Like, I think you hung out in our apartment once, or at least you did, Mark, with Adam and a bunch of others, uh, my peers. And I was, like, so nervous. And we, I don't even remember what we talked about. But, um, but it's been a pleasure. But I've gone all these years without really getting to know you until this last year. Um, when a mutual connection of Dana and I said, Dana, wow, you need to like go get coffee with Marjorie because she's reading all the same things you are and like is really liking this stuff about like neurotheology and about like an embodied spirituality and embodied faith. And it's been a passion of mine for a few years. Um, and so as we came around to setting up <clears throat> the series for this year, you know, made it a big point of like, I really want to see us like talk about the body more. And um, we like to have a few guest speakers every year, but I was a, um, a big champion here to get Dana because, you know, she's been such an impact to me this year of really getting um, worshiping with my body as she leads us through yoga faith and thinking about my body in a different way and how to care for it and its connection to my faith. So thank you, Dana, for like giving me so much more of that connection and making that bridge of like stuff I know in my head and I've read to actual like <laughs> living it out. Um, So anyway, I'm excited for her to be here. She's going to come up, but first let me read the passage that Dana is going to be preaching off of. This is Matthew 11, 4 through 5. John sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so let's give Dana a big, yay, warm of applause. Thank you so much. Um, I don't consider myself a speaker. So, um, anyway, I am just going to talk about what is, I'm passionate about and what God has led me to, and uh, we'll just go from there. So, let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Loving God, as we become aware of your presence, open our ears to hear you. We awaken our hearts to receive you, and open our eyes to see the wonderful fruits in your word, your greatest love letter to us. Help us to become aware of the distractions in our mind and set them aside one by one so we can focus on you, Lord, now and throughout the rest of our time together. Amen. 
Okay, so t- today I want to talk about the importance of the body and engaging God. Um, so when we talk about, or when we think about Jesus's ministry here on earth, what would I would say would be his primary focus, maybe to forgive sins. Another focus that he did was he focused on telling stories and parables. Um, and also he restored bodies. He fed them, he healed them, uh, he cured their diseases. And so this passage that Marjorie just read tells about all of that. And so when we see Jesus telling parables and stories and healing bodies, even resurrecting some of them, um, I think about what's the big deal about Jesus healing these bodies and feeding them and restoring them. I'm thinking to myself, why did he do that? Why was that important? Um, And maybe it was an outward showing, um, a way of showing or validating his... um, his uh, authenticity, um, but um, uh, and you know his ability to forgive sins, and I think that's just a really good reason. But I also think there was something more to it. I believe that he healed bodies and forgave sins because he wants us to experience wholeness, wholeness and life to the full here on earth. And so I just want to talk about this by engaging God in, through my own story, uh, since storytelling is a big deal. So let's just start with the body, because our body is our link to the world. I grew up in a rural uh, area of central Pennsylvania with four siblings. I was second. Our family was Christian, so I grew up going to church twice a week, and we had religion. Uh, but because of generational dysfunction that was passed down uh, through my family, uh, we learned how to express our religion outwardly and by the way we looked, by the, by the things we did or didn't do. Uh, but our home life was riddled with anger, avoidance, uh, reactivity, violence, and emotional abandonment. And so from that I learned at a very early age that my emotions or anything I had to say didn't matter nor were they welcomed. Uh, So I learned to suppress my thoughts, to suppress my feelings, and I began, as a result of that, to lose touch with my body. Of course, I had no idea at the time that this was what I was doing, but I do have a lot of gaps in my memory, and um, I do remember some things. I remember walking through life with this sense that I was like out here uh, looking in at my life, Uh, looking in at what was going on around me, but I had no real connection to it. Uh, I was living my life, I would say, outside of my body. And so I came to learn much later that this state has a name. It's called dissociation. And so um, I had become dissociated from my body and from my emotions. And I wasn't really able to live in the present, in my body, uh, because my sense of self was disoriented, I would say fractured. And so I became alienated from my body in a way that I just saw myself as having a body. So when we cut off our feelings, we're cut off from our feelings and our emotions, we don't experience pain and we don't experience emotions. We lose touch with ourselves and we just become kind of disordered. We have a disordered relationship with ourself, our body self. So like I said, we become fractured and we feel like we're falling apart. And so in the world of neuroscience, and I'll kind of talk about this a little bit, this, or as a word for this, it's called disintegrated. 
And in the Bible, the psalmist calls it a divided heart. So it was easy to be preoccupied with raising children and working with students while we were living in Wisconsin, like Marjorie said. But about 10 years ago, I reached a kind of crisis in my life. And I'd wake up some days in a terror, feeling like I was falling into a bottomless dark hole. And I felt like I was losing myself. Like I had no idea who I was apart from the identity that I had placed like in my spouse or in my children. I had no idea how to identify and authentically express my own thoughts and feelings. And since I learned how to live this respectable life uh, as a Christian on the outside, there wasn't really any way for other people to know what was really going on inside. Um, of course, there were, there were marriage and family conflicts, but again, because I had operated in this dissociated state for most of my life, it was really hard to tell uh, what was going on, and even I myself didn't fully know. And so what I learned is that alienation from our bodies is really at the core of our alienation from our deepest self, from the world, and ultimately from God. So until we can become at home in our bodies, we can never really be at home anywhere. We need to be grounded or anchored uh, uh, in ourself as a biological organism. Otherwise, we'll always be vulnerably, vulnerable to searching for substitute ways of anchor, anchoring our, our being. And one example of a substitute anchor might be placing like our identities in someone else, like for like what I said, like in our spouse and our children, or some other aspect of ourselves we become attached to, like maybe what we do or who we know, that sort of thing. And so like for me, it was like, well, I'm Mark's wife or I'm Dan and Phil's mom. That was how I thought about it. And also historically, Christians, some Christians have also believed that, uh, that they have a body. And so for these Christians, they believe that the soul is the real you and that your body is just a container. And when you die, you, uh, you, your body has served its purpose and you're, you're done with it because in heaven, you're just a spirit. And some other Christians have thought that our earthly body doesn't really matter because you get a new body in heaven. Um, and maybe you know people like that. Maybe you are like, maybe you do think that way. But what I want to really emphasize here is that our human self, like I said, is never going to have any real coherence unless we realize that at the core uh, that we are like skin and bones. We are visceral. Um, so there's nothing really spiritual about that, and it, but it reminds us that we're creatures of flesh and all our raw and wriggling physicality. And so while it's important for the self to be grounded in the body, we also have to be careful that uh, we don't equate ourself with our bodies because um, then our body becomes our identity. And so we um, equate ourself with our bodies. Like, so when we do that, we try to make it into something like our idea of an ideal body. So we might do things to change it, like surgically or otherwise. Uh, but then when our beauty fades or it diminishes, our energy diminishes, that means that we fade and we diminish. So we have to move beyond equating our identity with our bodies in order to understand that we're part of a larger whole. Um, We need to understand that we live and move and exist in Christ. We are more than just a body. So I like to think of myself as being a body. Bible's filled with references to the body and how God 
when Jesus cares for them. So in Psalm 139, uh, it says here, You formed my inmost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside, and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place. Carefully, skillfully, you shaped me from nothing to something. You saw, you, you saw who you created me to be before I became me, before I had ever seen the light of day. The, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your books. So our bodies are important to us because um, God loves us. John 3.16, God proved his love to the world by giving his only unique son of, as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting life. And our bodies are also important because God delights in us. Jesus shows us this when he heals and he restores the body. Jesus heals someone. When Jesus heals someone, he heals and restores the whole person, both physically and spiritually. This is really part of the good news. This is the good news. Um, so the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, and the good news is preached. So the gospel tell, tell us that Jesus showed great compassion on the poor, the sick, the needy, the lowly. We, all have to, we also have to see how Jesus lived this in his everyday life with others. He was eating and drinking, being present with people, doing human bodily things. And John 10, 11 says, I have come so that you may have life and life to the full. So what Jesus is doing is he's inviting us to experience wholeness and to become fully human. So what does it mean to be fully human? It's a way big, bigger topic than I have the time to cover today, but I just want to touch a bit on it because it's important to help us understand how we live out our spirituality as fully human in our body, in the here and now, in our everyday lives. So Romans 12 says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the very best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. So embracing this reality of the here and now helps to anchor us in the realities of ordinary life. And this includes our, both our internal world and our external world. And then Psalm 63, I love this in the message. It says, train me, God, to walk straight. Then I'll follow your true path. Put me together, one heart and mind. Then, undivided, I'll worship you in joyful fear. So David here, he's asking God to teach me your way. This is not a list of do's and don'ts, but it's a request for God to give him an undivided heart so that he can follow God's true path and worship him in his whole being. So this is a person who wants to have an undivided life, one that's united, knit together, one heart and um, uh, where was I? Whole. There's a whole life. In the language of neuroscience, this is called an integrated life. And so back to my story, because of my own dysfunctional upbringing, I lacked this ability to be fully human in the way David describes in this psalm. 
I had a divided heart. My mind wanted to follow Jesus, but I was just governed by my reactions, uh, by acting impulsively and without any self-reflection. And so because of my divided heart, I was living um, a disordered and a disintegrated life. But God wants us to experience his love, not just cognitively in our heads, but in a holistic, integrated way that includes all of us, our heads, our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our bodies. And so this is what leads to being a fully integrated life, having a fully integrated life. So how do we do this? So what I'm suggesting is that we need to develop embodied spiritual practices. So as a Christ follower, these practices lead toward a deepened connection to and a relationship with the God who loves us and who is relentlessly attentive and attuned to us. So this then will allow us to have deeper relationships with both ourselves and then with others. And so what I want to say here is I believe that the foundation to this embodied journey begins with awareness. So the scriptures are filled with encouragements to look, to see, to heed, to attend. And Jesus often taught his followers about the importance of staying watchful and awake. So this invitation is to awaken, to respond rather than simply react, to become full participants in our lives. And living with, um, living with awareness is not an easy thing. Like, how do you become aware of what you're not aware of? This was a big deal for me. Um, there are some powerful embodied practices, though, that help us to become more aware. And two of them are breath and attentiveness. So I want to talk about those two this evening. So breath and attentively actually enhance the integration between circuits in the brain, and it in, actually influences our relationship with God. And one way to practice awareness is through movement exercises like yoga or tai chi, those types of things. So back to my story, when we moved back to uh, Pennsylvania in 2013 from Wisconsin, uh, now we were living close to my family of origin. And so I knew that I needed to somehow figure out how to engage with them in a new way. Uh, a way that wouldn't send me back into this cesspool of shame that I had spent so many years trying to evade. So a good friend of mine invited me to a 12-step program for adult children of dysfunctional families, and this is where I learned the importance of tending to both my physical and my emotional self. So I found a therapist and I joined an athletic club. And after attending a few yoga classes at the athletic club, I began just loving how I felt after the class and so I started attending like five or six mornings a week and what happened here was that yoga taught me to pay attention to my breath and use it as an anchor so the breath literally is the gateway to the body it's the first thing we do when we are born it's the last thing we do when we die but people don't normally think about breathing just like we don't think about blinking our eyes or digesting our food these are not things we think we need to work on and they just occur from our autonomic nervous system. But breathing is different uh, because there are also ways to breathe intentionally. Certain patterns of breathing can change how you feel internally. And they can also affect your heart rate, uh, your lung capacity, 
And intentional breathing actually calms down the nervous system. It increases focus and also increases non-reactiveness. Has a lot of other physiological benefits as well. We can have a conversation about that afterwards. But Christians believe that God created humankind from the dust of the earth, and he brought life to man through the infusion of his breath. That word ruah in Hebrew and in uh, Greek, it's pneuma. And these two, this word is translated as spirit or breath, depending on the passage where it's listed, spirit or breath. So breathing is not just something we do. It's something that flows through us. Each breath we take is a gift from God. We also believe that the Spirit of God is with us moment by moment, breath by breath. I believe that it's important for us to see the immense spiritual value in attending to the moment by moment expressions of the presence of God. Breath becomes the meeting point here of the body, spirit, and soul. So whenever we feel carried away by an emotion or we're distracted by thoughts, we can return to our breathing to help us collect and anchor our being. We can become aware of the flow of air coming in and going out of our nose. We can feel our chest rise and fall. We can listen to the sound of the exhalation and the inhalation. So no matter where we are or what we're doing, we can always return to this foundation of our life. It's what helps anchor us into the present moment. So as I was attending these yoga classes, I was encouraged to notice any sensations or thoughts or emotions. This taught me to notice what I was paying attention to. What I did is I learned to observe my thoughts, notice sensations in my body. And I was encouraged to witness my thoughts without judgment. So um, after about a, ye- a year, uh, uh, after I started going to the 12-step group, I, I was with my friend and she said, you're so much more present. You look me in the eyes now when I talk to you and you have a much calmer presence about you. And so at that time, I couldn't really articulate or explain what had happened, but I knew it was true. I could feel in my body. And so in my, from my yoga classes, I learned to breathe intentionally to calm my nervous system. And the movements and the postures helped me cultivate an awareness of being present in my body. I was learning to witness my thoughts and sensations without judgment, and this helped to subdue my reactivity. And I began to have this newfound confidence in myself. Um, so the second aspect of embodied spirituality is attention, paying attention, yeah. Uh, when I talk about paying attention in the context of an embodied spiritual practice, I'm not talking about like when you tell your kid to like stop being preoccupied with whatever you're doing and listen to what I have to say. This kind of attention requires effort to like restrict your imagination or focus your thoughts on you know, the person who's talking to you. But the kind of attention that uh, our spirits and our souls require is quite a bit different. Paying attention in this way is just simply opening yourself to what you're encountering. Notice what you notice without any judgment. Become an observer. And instead of paying attention as a way to control our attention, we just simply allow our attention to be absorbed by our present experience. 
we can learn from this by watching children. Their capacity to be absorbed by any single thing can be immense. So have you ever watched a child like engrossed in a twig <laughs> or just engrossed by the ripples of a puddle? They are totally fully engrossed in that thing, fully absorbed by it. And so what I want to say here is that learning to live with this kind of openness and presence is the foundation to an embodied spirituality. So it's easy to get lost in our thoughts and feelings, becoming oblivious then to what we come become oblivious to what's happening in and around us. And it blocks us from true awareness. But as we cultivate our ability to live in the present, in the present, uh, we don't necessarily eliminate thoughts and feelings. We just become aware of them. In this way, we develop the capacity to become a non-judgmental observer or a witness to our own thoughts. So as we learn to become present and aware of our own inner landscapes, our thoughts and our feelings, we can be more attentive to and attuned with others. So that I, this whole idea of paying attention to our inner dialogue really made a radical difference in my life. Years ago, I read a book called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. <laughs> well, this was before we knew about brain scans, brain scans and neuroplasticity and all that stuff, but it opened my curiosity <coughs> to this idea of becoming aware of my, um, becoming aware of my thoughts, um, especially when it had to do with my spirituality and how I engaged with God. Um, my dysfunctional relationship with the present moment was reflected in this dysfunctional relationship that I had with myself and with others and with God. So my own toxic negative inner dialogue had a huge influence on how I understood and related to God. So I saw God as somebody who didn't really care about the details of my life because I believed that I really wasn't someone who deserved to be, to be loved. And my negative inner dialogue was shrouded by this sea of shame that was created by a disordered attachment in my family of origin. So learning about um, early childhood attachment patterns and how they carry over into our adult lives was really a key for me to understanding how my reactions and my ways of disordered thinking, like the narratives in my head, were affecting my quality of life and my close relationships. But the good news now that we know is that our attachment patterns do have the capacity to change. And so the more I became aware uh, of my sick thinking, the more motivated I became to change my thinking process and to seek out others who could listen and engage with my story with empathy and understanding. Um, Speaking about engaging our stories, you know, we as Christians in the Western world tend to place a lot of emphasis on what we know about God. At least in our circles, as being involved with a university, that's a big thing. But we pay more emphasis on knowing about God than on how we are known by God. 1 Corinthians um, Eight says, knowing may make a person look important, but it's only through love that we reach our full maturity. If anyone thinks of himself as a know-it-all, he still has a lot to learn. 
But if a person passionately loves God, he is known or acknowledged by God. First John, we, gave, we love God because he first loved us. Psalm 33, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Galatians, Christ is the one who lives in and through me. Now I live my life and in my body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me so much that he gave himself to redeem me. God's attention toward us is relentless. He desires for us to experience being known by him, but he also wants us to know that our experience of being known what he also wants us to know that what our experience of being known does to him. I've never thought about that before. So I'm not saying that God needs us in a way that we need God. What I'm saying is that you and I can affect God by as significantly as God affects us. Not in terms of ultimate power, but in terms of the way he feels. This experience of being known by God has been life-changing for me. It's not been easy for me to imagine that I have this much significance in God's life. But my skepticism about being able to know and relate to God just really emphasizes how the experiences in my family and my culture shaped me. So I don't know, maybe you can relate to something like that. But when we're vulnerable enough to engage with others who listen to our life stories with empathy and compassion, we're able to build literally new ways of thinking about God and ourselves. Sharing stories helps us heal by being heard, felt, and validated. Of course, we can't do this work kind of work on our own. This the transformation, this kind of transformation requires a collaborative interaction between two people. More, you know, maybe more, but two people at the minimum. Um, who, where one person is empath, empathetically listening and responding to the other one so that this other one has the experience of feeling felt by another. My husband and I learned stuff like that in our marriage counseling, and it was transformative. And so the more we engage with people in a way that we are felt and we feel known, we can begin to create new narratives in our minds. Narratives that speak the truth about who we are as human and about how God loves us and accepts us unconditionally. By, be, by engaging this way as God's people, we learn how to reorient our minds towards God in a way, <clears throat> in a way that we feel understood, we feel forgiven and encouraged. So as we experience God's attunement and attachment he literally transforms our mind and he changes our lives. So experiencing God in this way began for me anyway through these embodied spiritual practices. And so I just want to say that if this is something that resonates with you, I encourage you to pursue it, learn more about it, have a conversation with me. I would love to talk about that. Um, I had and I did have a now that I was thinking I would end before the kids came, after the kids came up so I had an idea of a way it's like a little bit of a meditation and I'll try to remember it from the top of, from just learning it myself and guide you through it in this way and really what it is it's a script that we can say to ourselves 
uh, we can, you know, say it as God is speaking it to us. And so maybe what we can do here is just take a minute to like have a soft, bring your eyes closed or a soft gaze, just looking down at the floor a little bit. Rest your hands comfortably on your your lap or wherever it's comfortable. And take a moment to begin to notice your breathing. Notice the breath. Maybe noticing the air as it comes in and noticing it as it goes out. Take another breath in and out. Notice any expansion in your stomach, your ribs. Notice maybe the air coming into your nostrils and out of your nostrils. Just notice your breath here. Don't do anything with it, just notice it. And so I want you to imagine yourself before God and imagine looking into the face of God. Imagine his eyes looking into yours. And if your mind begins to wander, just come back to the breath. Come back to the imagination of your eyes and the eyes of Christ Jesus looking into your eyes. Imagine maybe you're one of those people along the roadside that God is healing and he's looking at you. And he's saying to you, my daughter, you are my daughter, I love you. You are my son, I love you. I am so glad you are here. I'm so glad you're here on this earth. You are precious to me. And imagine his eyes continuing to look into yours. Imagine what is on his face. He is smiling. His, he, is pleasure, he is receiving pleasure from being in your presence. He is welcoming your presence. And then imagine yourself reaching up and him giving you a hug. He draws you close to him, close to his breast, and he wraps his arms around you. And he says to you again, my son, I love you. My daughter, I love you. You are precious to me. And so now just bring your awareness back to your breath as we begin to enter our presence back into this room here. And I would encourage you if you think, if you feel like this is something that uh, you would like to continue pursuing or um, maybe taking that script and using it for 21 days, in a row and see what it does. See how it changes you. 
So I just want to offer this prayer. Father God, you are the one who loves us. You are the one who pursues us. We love you because you first loved us. And so, Father, we just want to acknowledge that today and to um, allow ourselves to um, be vulnerable enough to pursue some of these embodied spiritualities and um, to embrace the what they do in terms of our bringing us back to you. So I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.